Okay, so let's let's uh, begin over here. We are holding in the beginning of Perak Dalid, of the fourth Perak of Shaftim. Um And we're going through, and this is our second class on Shaftim. we're talking about the that era that's called the era of the Shaftim, the judges, which is really an era of a couple of hundred years from when Klal Yisrael comes into Eretz Yisrael until we have the Malachim, until we have the kings, which is going to be um, Shaul and then uh, then Shlema. I'm sorry, then David, then Shlema. So that's the era of the kings, and that's when the Beis Hamikdash comes into play. But that entire couple of hundred years era is a time, as we discussed in the last class, of a lot of turmoil and upheaval, a lot of ups and downs for Klal Yisrael, where they um, initially, when they came in, they come, come under the leadership of Yeshua, and they're still very much under the influence of Meshur Rabbeinu, and they follow the, in the ways of Hashem for the first 14 years. Um, that's when the, uh, the conquest of Eretz Yisrael and the division of the land of Eretz Yisrael. And then for a short period of time after Yeshua's passing, still they follow in the ways of Hashem. But then then it becomes sort of like a slippery slope. And um, Klal Yisrael recedes very quickly into idolatrous ways. Um, we talked about the fact that they did not heed what they were told of removing totally all remnants of the Knainim, of the nations that were in Israel. The nations that were in Israel were very immoral nations. And the mitzvah was very clear that they have to be either they have to either leave or they have to convert or we have to go to battle to them, but with them and, and, and destroy remove them. Um, but Klaisel did not listen to that, and uh, as we know, you, one of the things that you didn't have is Rahmanas, and Rahmanas is a good thing, but could also be a negative thing when it's not used properly. And that's something that keeps on happening. So they're not willing to actually remove all of the negative influences from amongst them. And because of that, they keep on falling in their ways. And really the story of Shaftim is the story of basic, basically sinfulness, and therefore Hashem removing His protection from us, and therefore we come under the um, rulership of one king or another, which we typically suffer very greatly. Then we do tshuva, and Hashem sends a tzaddik, a shayfet, and then we do better, and then we're uh, freed from that oppressor, and then we recede in the bad ways, and then it, that's really the story. It's a, it's a up and down, up and down cyclical story the entire couple hundred years, which is the story of the Shaftim. So what, what we did in the first few chapters is we went through a little bit of that, and we talked about that they were in uh, the, in, in chapter 3, really, that they fell under a, a, a difficult king, and then it was Asniel ben Kenaz, who's considered the second Shafit, as I mentioned, and he uh, was able to rise up and save them from that king, and then it was, it was peaceful for 40 years, and then the Jewish people again uh, began sinning, and then there's a new king, a new negative king, and therefore we meet the third Shafit. his name was Ehud ben Geira, from the Shevet of Binyamin, and he's again able to stand up and re- and, and uh, successfully revolt against the, the bad king, um, which was Eglon, and then things are back to peace again for an 80-year period of time, and then there's another Shevet again who's able to <clears throat> wage the battles of the Jewish people, and that's Shamgar ben Anas, and that was the end of chapter Gimel, Pere Gimel, and that's again, I'm just reading through quickly, that's what we discussed in the last shir, which brings us to Perik Dalit, and Perik Dalit again. Now the Jewish people again revert to very sinful ways and idolatrous ways and so on. And now a new negative uh, bad king comes up, and he is Yavin, the king of Canaan. And this Yavin, the king of Canaan, has a general. The general's name is Sisra, and um, is able to amass a very mighty army. Um, in the wording of the Navi, 
that Sisra had 900 chariots, uh, iron chariots, which was, I guess, uh, like we said last time, in today's, uh, in today's language, he had the best tanks, the best tanks uh, in the world at the time. And therefore, he, he was a very, very formidable general. And they ruled over the Jewish people in a very, very oppressive manner. Very, very terrible things that they did to the Jewish people in that time. And that was for 20 years that we were under that oppressor. And again, Klai calls out to Hashem. And Hashem sends the next Navi. And this Navi, and this is where, I, this is where we left off last time, this Navi is uniquely different than most because it's a woman. And that is Devorah. Devorah Hanaviyah. And she is considered the fifth of the Shoftim, of the judges of the Jewish people in that era. Now, Devorah is a unique personality, and a tremendous amount is written about her. And we're just going to... I, th- I think actually today's class is going to be about the story of Devorah, that Neviah, which is the next two chapters in Navi. So, she is a Neviah, she's a prophetess, and the Gemara tells us that in the history of Klai Yisrael, we had seven great Neviahs, seven great prophetesses. Now, when we say that, we have to categorize that. There may have been many, many more, but seven means seven that are talked about in the Torah, and seven that they are talked about as a prophetess, as someone who said Nevuah. Just like when we talk about Nevi'im, the male prophets, the Gemara says, if I'm not mistaken, the number that's given is that there's 48 Nevi'im throughout the Torah. But again, the Mepharshim say there's much more than that. The 48 that were central key figures in the Jewish people. So there's 48 such Nevi'im men who were key figures in leading Klal Yisrael. And there were seven women who, um, in, in the history of Tanakh, were Nevi'is that, that led or that were very significant in their... Um, in their leadership of Klal Yisrael. Who were those seven Nevi'ah, says the Gemara. Can you close the door, please? Says the Gemara that the first one was Sarah. Sarah Imenu, who we know is so, such a uh, tremendous Nevi'ah that Hashem says that she, that even Avram Avinu, her husband, was secondary to her in Nevi'ah's in prophecy. So Sarah, Sarah is the first, and the next one is Miriam. And again, it's very likely that the Rachel or others were as well, but the Gemara refers to these specifically, who the Torah talks about their Nevuah. So there's Sarah, there's Miriam, who is, of course, the sister of Moshe and Aaron. And then there is Devorah, who's number three, who's the one we're talking about tonight. A little later in Tanakh, there's Chana. Chana, who's going to be the mother of Shmuel, also plays a very uh, significant role later in Tanakh. Um, the next two are probably the least known of the Nevi'ahs, and they are Avigail, who we're going to learn about later in Tanakh. Avigail, um, initially she was married to a person named Novel, and then ultimately she became a wife to David HaMelech, which we will talk about uh, later, in the later when we get to that point in Tanakh. Then there's Hulda, again, one uh, not much is, I mean, there's in Tanakh about her, but she's not that famous. And finally, the last one is very famous, and that is Esther, from the story of Purim. So these are the seven Nevi'ahs that the Gemara says served each one in their own time as a special um, messenger of Hashem to the Klal Yisrael, to the Jewish people, and were on the status of any of the Nevi'im that we have. So that's Devarah. The, uh, the Pasuk introduces us to the Devarah and says, Devarah eishes lapidois. Devarah eishes lapidois. And two ways to understand the word eishes lapidois. One is that she is a woman of Lapidus, so the Lapidus rep, uh, re- represents her, or Aisha's Lapidus, that she's a wife of Lapidus. And therefore, in Rashi and the other Mepharshim have different interpretations. Um, it says that Lapidus, la- Lapid means like a, uh, a flame. 
Lapid Aish is a flame of fire. And it says that she, or her husband alternatively, were very involved in taking care of the Mishkan, specifically the fires of the Mishkan, the um, the Menorah. And it says that she, she or, or, or her husband, or together, would make the wicks for the Beis HaMikdash. And they had a big chayis, they had a big... Um, that was like their hidr, their hidr mitzvah to take care of the mishkan and take care of the flames in the mishkan. And that's why she got that name. The very Aishas Lapidas. And the Pasik says that she was Shefetes as Yisrael, that she um, she judged Klal Yisrael. Tachas Toimer Devira, under the Toimer. A Toimer is a, is a day tree, and a big day tree. And that's the, that was called the Toimer Devira, the day tree under which Devira judged Klal Yisrael. And there's all types of a discussion in the Mepharshim, why, you know, what's the significance of the day tree and that. And that she judged under a day tree. And one of the ideas that's famous, the Gemara says, that Shidafka chose to judge outdoors under a day tree because there shouldn't be any question of Yichud at any point in time. Being that you constantly had men who were coming for judgment and all different types of judgments that they needed. And she was a woman and she wanted to be Zahir, very careful with the mitzvah, with the Isra of Yichud, of, because, of being alone with a man or two men, even in certain situations, depending on the type of people or the time of the day. And therefore she sat outside under her day tree, and that's where she was, the Shefetas. Um, an interesting aside point, just an interesting idea, there is a very famous sefer called Tomer Devorah, the uh, day tree of Devorah, and that is written by one of the great Mikubalim, and that's the Ramak, Rabbi Moshe Kordaviro. Rabbi Moshe Kordaviro was the teacher of the Arizal. Right, so the Arizal is probably the most famous Mikubal in history, and his teacher was the Ramak, Rabbi Moshe Kordaviro, who's brought in Chassidus extensively. He wrote the Pardes and other basic works of Kabbalah. And one of the basic works he wrote, he called Toimer Devera, the day treat of Devera. And it's interesting that he doesn't write exactly why. A lot of speculation, why would this uh, Mekubal, who wrote the Sefer, and the idea of the Sefer is he goes through the 13 Midas of Hashem, the 13 attributes of Hashem, and learns from them lessons in our own behaviors, how we have to act in the different ways of Hashem, of Chanun and Rachum and so on and so forth, and he called it Tamer Devera. And again, I was looking and saw different explanations given why he would name his Sefer that. Uh, one interesting one is that the word Tomer Devera is the gematria of his name, Moshe Kordaviro. So maybe he was just alluding to his own name. Um, different reasons are given as well. Again, it's, it's sort of a tangent, not important to our discussion. It's just interesting that that date of Devera became the name of one of the primary sforum um, in Kabbalah. Okay, be that as it may. So Devera had a tremendous effect on the Jewish people as far as doing Shuva, and she spoke a lot about Shuva, and she was able to effect a turnaround. Because here we have Klal Yisrael, who was a negative um, you know, point in their time, as far as idolatry and so on, and she had a powerful effect on the Jewish people, to the extent that she felt that it was time now to rise up against their oppressors, that seemed to be very, very... Uh, formidable. Again, Sisra, who was the general of Yavin, was known as this tremendously mighty warrior, and he had this command of this tremendous army. So, the Pasuk says that Devera calls to Barak ben Avinoam from Kadesh Naftali. Kadesh was an area in Israel in the section of Naftali. Now, it's interesting, it just says she calls to this person named Barak, but according to most Mepharshim, that was actually her husband. Barak, the, the, the one who is going to be the general of the Jewish army, even though in the Pasuk it doesn't say that, it just says she calls this uh, Barak and says it's time to stand up against um, Sisra. But the Mepharshim say that this was actually her husband, 
the one who is, if you remember the word was Lapidus, she's the wife of Lapidus, which means Lapid, Lapid is a flame. Barak is also a flame. Barak is a lightning. So they say that Barak and Lapidus is the same thing. Anyway, she calls him and she says that he should take 10,000 men from the Shevet of Naphtali and Zvulun, who were adjacent to each other, and they were in the section of Naphtali. This Barak was in the section of Naphtali, and she tells him to get 10,000, to call for 10,000 men, gather, and we are going to go to battle against Sisera. Now, to take 10,000 men um, in a war against this mighty army that had nine, um, that had all these, these tanks and these chariots and so on, it was like a tiny number. And therefore, Barak says, well, you know, we, this is, we, we can't do this. And she says, I'm telling this to you as a prophecy, a prophecy from Hashem that Hashem says, you take those 10,000 men, that's going to be enough for you. You don't need to gather more than that. Um, Hashem will gather all the enemies together and you will be able to um, be victorious against them. <clears throat> and that's what happens. And he goes out and he says, blows the shafer, And he says this message from Hashem that uh, comes through the through Neviah. And the 10,000 men uh, gather. And the message is given to Sisera that the Jewish people are gathering for a revolt. And Sisera goes all out. And he brings his entire armies, not just entire armies, he brings even others, others that join them, to go fight against the Jewish people in a place called uh, Nachal Kishain, which is some type of an area near a water. And they go out to battle. And here the Pasuk tells us that Hashem um, showed uh, tremendous miracles. And he caused a tremendous, the words that the Pasuk uses is Vayoham Hashem. Hashem confused the entire army of Sisra. And Chazal tell us that there was thunder and there was lightning and there were storms and then and then they became exceedingly hot and it became exceedingly cold and a lot of them went into the water and the water took them away. Basically, this entire massive army just fell to pieces before the battle even began. Because when they were gathered to go to battle against Kal Yisrael, Hashem fights them from the heavens and what's left for the Jewish people basically is just to chase them because they all start escaping in all different ways and Kal Yisrael is... Um, is in hot pursuit and is uh, and is uh, following them and was totally victorious in that battle and that army just fell to pieces. Now, Sisra himself also runs away. Now, Sisra is the general and he realizes that he lost this war and he realizes that his army is being pursued, so he goes the other way, the other direction. And he goes, and this is a, a pretty famous part of the story, he comes to the tent of a woman whose name is Yoel. Um, Yoel is the wife, the Pasuk says, of Hever HaKeni. Now, who's Keni? So, Keni, we already met Keni before. Keni are the descendants of Yisra. One of Yisra's names was Keni. We know when we, when we read about Yisra back in the third year, Yisra must have been his father in law. So, Yisra has seven names. One of them is Keni. So, this Yoel is a descendant of Yisra. She was also um, a tzaddikis, a special woman. And, and this Sisra escapes and he comes to that tent. The tent of, of, the, of it's called Hever Hakini. Hever is Yoel's husband. Hever is Nadir. And Yoel comes out to the front of the tent. She says, Sisra, she says, come here, I'll take care of you. And he comes into her tent and he asks, he says, uh, he asks for something to drink. She gives him milk, the Pasuk says, because milk makes a person heavy and he's heavy from the battle. And he falls asleep and she kills him. She takes the, uh, the tent, uh, the spike of the tent, and she puts it through through him, through his head, and she kills she kills um, Sisera, 
this very evil general of Yovin. And then you have Barak, who's the Jewish general. I hope I'm being clear with all the names. Barak is pursuing Sisera, and he passes this tent, and Yoel comes out and says, come, I'll show you who you are pursuing. And she shows him that, yes, that Sisera is dead. At this point, they know that the war is totally over, and Kalal Yisrael was totally victorious, as Devera said that they would be. Yes. You are mute. You are mute. Yeah, I muted myself. Sorry. Sure. Um, I once learned that she had to be intimate with him. Okay, so there is such an opinion, but I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you now that that's not the that's not the primary opinion of the Mefarshim at all. There is such a medrash. There is one medrash says that in order to weaken him, so she seduced him, so to say, speak, the intimacy, and was able to weaken him once, twice, three times, a number of times. And then she was able to kill him. There is such a, 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 an opinion mentioned in the Mefarshim. But in the primary Mefarshim, and I'll show you something very interesting in a moment, uh, Rashi and the Radak, the basic Mefarshim on the, um, on the Navi say the opposite. So they totally opposite. And we'll see in a moment how, we'll see what they say. But before, before I get to that, there, but there is a source to that. There is, a, there is such an opinion that's brought down as well. Um, before we get to that, there's an interesting Medrash, another statement in the Medrash, which says... That this woman, that the Pasuk makes it very clear to say that this woman, this Ya'il, was a descendant of Yisrael. And the Medr says that everything in Hashem's world comes around a second time. And everything is rewarded. So he says, what's the first time we met Yisrael in the Torah? When, when do we meet Yisrael? So we have Moshe Rabbeinu, remember Moshe Rabbeinu escapes Mitzrayim. And the first thing he does is he, he sees that Yisra's daughters are being um, harassed, are being set upon. And Moshe Rabbeinu saves them. And then he has to run and Yisra offers him a place to live. So Yisra is the one who offers the, the stranger, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu who was the one who's, who's running away from Mitzrayim. And he's the one who just helped Yisra's daughters finds a place to live, a place to uh, to take refuge in Yisra's house. So many years later, it's Yisra's great granddaughter, who now is the opposite. He's she's the one who's able to um, destroy the one who is who's the chaser, the one who is the killer, the one who's the general, the one who was always hurting Klal Yisrael, and now she has the she has the ability that the Yeshua of Klal Yisrael comes through her. So whereas Yisrael was the one who provided the first Yeshua for Moshe Rabbeinu when he's running away from Mitzrayim, now it's his great-granddaughter who has this chus to provide Yeshua for the entire Klal Yisrael when, when, she, is a, when she is able to um, destroy that general who was the one who was their oppressor for these last 20 years. So that's how the, 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 uh, the mitzvah of Yisrael is repaid and the chus is given to his great-granddaughter to be again the Mashiach, the, the one who saves Klal Yisrael in this um, in this tremendous battle, that's as far as that. Um, but then the last point, and it's related to what you just asked. The pasuk says that um, that Yael invites this uh, mighty general into her house, vatichasehu besmicha. Which now in modern Ivrit, a smicha is a blanket. So when you read the words in the Navi, vatichasehu besmicha, it sounds like um, oh she covered him with a blanket. So the Mefarshim say. And I saw this in the Radak and other Mepharshim. They say that if you look in the entire Tanakh, you don't find that word anywhere else. The word smicha, which again today, 
Now, when I say smicha, so many people think smicha, right? You think about rabbinical ordination. That's smicha with a samach. Here it's with a sin. So it's not the same word at all. So in Ivrit, today, you say, tenli uh, smicha, uh, I mean, give me a blanket. A smicha is a blanket. And here in this Pasuk and Rach, it sounds like a blanket. She covered him with a blanket. But the Mepharshim say that that word doesn't say in Tanakh anywhere. It's, ma- it's modern Ivrit, but not Tanakh Hebrew. So what does the word smicha or smicha in Tanakh mean? And they say, something very interesting, that really the word smicha is the word shmi, Hashem says shmi, my name, ko, is here. Hashem says my name is here. What does that mean? Excuse me. Let's plug in the computer here. What does it mean my name is here? And they say something very beautiful, and that is that there are, they point to three events in Tanakh where there was a person that was in a situation where it's possible that they may have sinned. And we don't know if they did or they didn't. And in all these in all these three places, we're talking about Sadiqim. And though they were in a situation of temptation where it was quite possible to sin, they didn't. And Hashem says, I am the witness that they did not sin. Nobody else was there. But Hashem says, my name will stand as witness that they didn't sin. Where are the three places in Tanakh where a person was faced with that type of a situation and they didn't sin? So one of the most... Yosef from Potiphar's wife. That's number one, exactly. We just had him in the Parsha recently. So Yosef and Potiphar's wife were in that situation of a very sinful situation, and Yosef did not. But how do we know? So the Pasuk in Tehillim, there's a hey added to Yosef's name. It says, it's written Yehosef in Tehillim, which we actually say in the Shir Shalyom of Thursday. So Hashem says, add the hey, it's my name. Yud hey is Hashem's name. I'm telling you. Hashem says, I'm the witness that they did not sin. The other place is, and we'll get to there later in wait, Tanakh. Wait, can you just say that again? The hint was in Tehillim or not in the Chumash itself? In, in Tehillim. In Tehillim it says, uh, it's written, the name Yosef is written with an extra hey. And that extra hey is a Hashem's, is by adding the hey to the Yud. So now it's Yud hey vav, that's Hashem's name. And therefore that's Hashem's edus by Yosef. Hashem says witness that Yosef did not sin. The other place is with David HaMelech. And this is a story, again, a story later in Tanakh. But we have, um, Sh- Sh- David Amalek marries Shaul's wife, right? Shaul's wife, uh, I'm sorry. David Amalek marries Shaul's daughter, which is Michal. And, but then Shaul, who's in this ongoing fight with David, takes Michal away from David and gives her to another man. And that man is Palti. Pal- but later in the Pasuk, he's called Paltiel. Aleph Lamed, El is one of Hashem's names. Hashem says, I'm the witness that Palti was never intimate with this Michal because he knew that that's David Amalek's wife. So Hashem inserts his name to say, yes, this, this was a situation that you might assume that there was probably sinful behavior, but there wasn't. Say the Mepharshim, the same thing is here with Yael and Sisra. We have this big, great general, Sisra, mighty general, alone in the tent with Yael. Who knows what happened? That's why it says that there's the smicha, which means shmiko. Hashem says, my name is here, that I am bearing witness that there wasn't any sinfulness. And to the contrary, it was all only L'Shem Shemayim, and she did it in order to save Klal Yisrael. So that's as far as that mefirish. But again, you mentioned that there is a medrash that says differently that L'Shem Shemayim, she had to be intimate, uh, intimate with him in order to kill him ultimately. Um, but this that's an argument amongst the different mefirish.
of exactly what, what transpired there. But according to this uh, Radak that I'm reading from, he says that this word tells us that that, that that was not the case, that did not happen there. That is the end of Perik Dalid, of chapter 4 of Shaftim, when that mighty arm, army headed by Sisra is vanquished by Barak. Um, I missed out one interesting detail, and that is that initially when... When Devorah tells Barak, I want you to lead this battle against Sisra and his armies, so Barak says, I'm afraid to go myself. I'm only going to go if you come with me. Because she was the prophetess. She was the Nevi'ah. And and Devorah tells Barak, she says, fine. But if I come with you, you're not going to have the glory of that battle. Everyone's going to say, that battle, battle fell to a woman because I was with you. And ultimately, that battle fell to two women, because it was Devorah, who was the Nevi'ah, and it was Yael, who actually killed Sisra. So that was both the, both the actual Navi, as well as the one who actually did the, you know, the final uh, knack, so to speak. That was Devorah and Yael, who were the ones who um, carried that tremendous Melchama. And so were, did she actually go into battle with them? Well, I don't know if she was like riding a horse in the battlefield. I don't know, but she definitely went with the soldiers and went. Yes, uh-huh. that was something that Barak said. He, Barak was afraid to go himself. Right. Barak didn't feel he didn't have. He, that. Only, he only went because she agreed to come with him. Right. Yeah, that the plus success. But in the end, who who do we attribute the winning of the battle to? Him or her? Well, it says together. I mean, well, she's yeah. the one. It's called the Battle of Dvera. More than more, uh, I mean, okay. it's called it's called her. Yeah, it is called it is called. Which leads us into Perik Hay, Perik Hay, which is a very, very famous Perik, and that is the Shira of Devorah. The entire Perik is the song that Devorah sings to Hashem at the after this battle, after this uh, miraculous victory of Klal Yisrael at that time. Um, Shira, we know that the, uh, the Gemara tells us that there are ten Shiras throughout Tanakh, or actually nine and that the 10th Shira will sing when Mashiach will come. But of course, Shira is, you know, this whole subject of song and the importance of song and so on, which is, uh, we're not going to get into. But the, the Gemara and the Midrashim say that throughout the Torah, there are nine very significant Shiras. And the 10th and ultimate one is the one we're waiting for, as we say in Dominic, Shira Chadasha, the new song that we will sing when Mashiach will come. And one of the very special Shiras is the Shira of Devera. Um, very quickly, what are the ten shiras that we talk about that we have in Tanakh? Um, some of them are very famous, some of them are lesser. Yes? Um, how come Devorah, if she was so modest and sat under a date palm tree to even rule, why could she sing? Okay, so I don't, I, I don't think that shira means that she got up with a microphone and sang a song. She wrote this, and Klal Yisrael sang it together. Uh-huh. Okay, it's not, it's not, I, I, it doesn't say exactly in the Tepas, like how it worked, but I don't believe that one person sang for everyone and everyone watched and clapped. It wasn't like a concert. It's more her shira that she wrote and then was sung by, in unison, with, uh, with everyone. I'm sure the men and the women sang as well, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't a performance type of a shira. Uh-huh. Okay? Okay. Um, what are the ten shiras that we have? So very quickly, going based on the Medrash, one is on the night of Yitzias Mitzrayim. On the night of Yitzias Mitzrayim in um, 
in Mitzrayim, Klal Yisrael sang when Hashem was freeing them. Now, the, the Pasuk in Chumash doesn't talk about that Shira. Much later, the Navi Yeshayahu talks about the Shira that we sang on the Leil HaChag, on the evening when we were um, when we were redeemed, but we don't have the wording of that Shira. It just says that there was a Shira that Klal Yisrael sang on that night. That's the first. The second is the most famous of all Shiras, and that is... I'm asking you questions and you're mute. But that is the... The, the crossing of the sea. The Yashir. The Yashir, when we crossed the sea. And that actually had two parts. There was Moshe Rabbeinus and Miriam's, right? That was the extension over there. And that is what we say every day in davening. It's so so important. And that is the Az Yashir. That's the second Shira. The third Shira is also in the Chumash. And that's the Shiras HaBe'er. That's the Shira that we sang about thanking Hashem for the Be'er, the uh, well of Miriam. And that was at the end of the 40 years after another big nace in the Torah and Pashas, uh, I think it's Chukas, where the mountains came together. And there, there's a few psukim where the Torah goes through that shira that Kal Yisrael uh, sang, thanking Hashem for the Be'er of Miriam. The fourth shira is what Moshe Rabbeinu sings close to the end of his life, and that is the Hazinu. The inter- Hazinu, which is one of the last parshas of the Torah, second to the last parsha of the Torah. And the entire one is a song. And again, uh, going back to what I said earlier, None of these means that one person got up and performed for everyone. Rather, it was written by Moshe Rabbeinu, and it's called a song. It's written as a poetic song to Hashem, and uh, each one had its own messages. But that's the fourth, which is Shira Sazinu. The fifth is the Shira of Yehoshua when he stopped the sun. That's something we discussed a couple of classes ago in one of the great uh, battles um, in the city of Givain. When the sun stopped, and then there were stones that fell from heaven, and there Yeshua sings a short, it's a short song, a couple of psukim long, where he describes the great miracles that happened at that time. Okay, so that's number five, right? Again, quickly, the the night we left Mitzrayim, Az Yashir, the Shira, by when we crossed over the sea, the song about the Be'er, about the um, uh, the miraculous well of Miriam, the song of Azino, and the song of Yeshua when the sun stopped. The sixth is Devorah. That's the one that we're talking about here. In Perik Hay of Shaftim is the entire Perik is this song of Devorah. The seventh is the Shir of David Hamelach, and it's in Tehillim. Even though on, in a bigger picture, I guess the entire Tehillim is full of songs to Hashem, but there's one specifically, which is chapter 30 in Tehillim, which is written as a, a poetry and a, a song of thanks of David Hamelach to Hashem for having saved him. Um, many times from his enemies. The eighth is what Shloim HaMalach sang when the Beis HaMikdash was built. We say that in Davening, Mizmer Shir Chanukas Habayis, when the Beis HaMikdash was, the dedication of the Beis HaMikdash, that is the eighth. And the ninth is an entire number of chapters, and that's the book of Shir HaShirim, the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs which Shloim HaMalach writes, and that is, of course, uh, uh, really a love song, which is an allegor- uh, allegorically written about the loving relationship between Hashem and Klal Yisrael, which is a reciprocal loving relationship from Hashem to us and us back to Hashem, and that's Shira Shirim. And then the tenth song, <coughs> Hashira Asiris, the tenth song, will be the song that we'll all sing together when Mashiach comes, may it be very soon, Emir Hashem. That is the, that's the tenth and final uh, Shira, Shira Hadasha, that we're waiting to sing. So these are the ten shiras, that nine that we have behind us and one that we are waiting for. Um, so Devaira, and it's interesting that uh, there's a few of them that are by women. Like there's Devaira and there's the shira. Um, well, Miriam was part of part of Mishra, I mean, it was to get together 
by the Shiras Hayam. Um, it's interesting that this song of Devera we read as a Haftarah one Shabbos of the year. Anyone knows which Shabbos of the year do we read the Shira of Devora as the Haftarah? It's the Shabbos, Shabbos Shira. The Shabbos Shira, which is Bishalach, when we read the story when Hashem split the sea for Klal Yisrael, so we read the Az Yashir, that's on Shabbos Shira. So the Haftarah of that Shabbos is the Shira of Devora. And that's Shabbos Parshas Bishalach. Um, usually, um, in Chabad dates, it's usually the Shabbos right after Yud Shvat. Uh, Shabbos Bishalach and Shabbos Shira, and we read the Shira of Moshe Rabbeinu in the Parsha, and the Haftarah we read the Song of Devira. Um It's interesting, just as an interesting note, we read the Az Yashir twice during the year. We read the Az Yashir and Parshas Bishalach, and we also read the Az Yashir and Shvi Shal Pesach, because that's the day it happened. But on Shvi Yishal Pesach for the Haftorah, there we read the Shira of David HaMelech from Tehillim. You following? And as always, the Haftorah is going to be something similar to the Parsha. So the Parsha is Az Yashir. So that's twice a year on Parsha's Bishalach and on Shvi Yishal Pesach. But the Haftorah, on Parsha's Bishalach, we read Nafka, the Shira of Devorah. And on Pesach, we read the Shira of David HaMelech. And in fact, there's a whole idea that the Rebbe talks about. I'm just going to mention, the Rebbe says in the name of the Samach Tzedek, who said in the name of the Alter Rebbe. That the Alter Rebbe asked, why is it that on Parshas Bishalach, which we sing, the Haftorah, we do the Shira of Dvora. I mean, we could have done David HaMelech, we could have done Yehoshua, we could have done Shlomo HaMelech. Why do we do Dafka, the Shira of Dvora on Parshas Bishalach? And the Alter Rebbe said, it's because... Although in the Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu leads the Klai Yisrael with Az Yashir, and then Miriam leads with a few more Psukim, but there was a greatness to how the woman did the Shira over, how, how, over the men. What was the greatness of the women's Shira? That it was accompanied by music. The Pasuk says that the woman had Tupim Umechailis. They had musical instruments that they brought from Mitzrayim because of their Amunah that they're going to be singing Shira to Hashem. Said the Alter Rebbe, because the woman sang the Shiras Hayam with greater simcha and enthusiasm than the men, so therefore for the Aftarah was chosen the Shira of Devorah, the Shira of a woman, to celebrate the additional measure of simcha that the woman had when they sang the Shira. That's a word that the Alter Rebbe told his grandson, the Tzamach Sedek, and the Rebbe spoke about it numerous times, about the Shira, the power of woman and Shira, and that's why we read after Shiras Devorah for the Aftarah of Parshas Bishalach. Okay, be that as it may, um, so what is what is the shira? So it's a, it's a pretty lengthy um, shira. It is, how many psukim is it? Let me give it how many psukim is it? It's about 30, psuk, 30 psukim long uh, shira. And she goes through basic, ba- the ba- I just want to go through the basic points of the shira. She talks about that, uh, you know, whenever Hashem helps us and saves us, we sing a shira, we sing a, we sing a song of thanks to Hashem. And then she goes back to describe Matan Torah when Hashem comes down to Klal Yisrael in the first place. And she talks about later, because the sinfulness of Klal Yisrael and the fear that we had of our, um, of our enemies. And then she says, until our generation, she describes the tremendous fear that they had from the enemies. And she said, even the other great people of this generation, like Shamgar ben Anas, who was the shepherd right before her, 
Shefet number four. And she also mentions Ya'il. Ya'il, the one who's going to kill Sisra, who's also, the Mepharshim says she was a big tzaddikis as well. So she says there was Shamgar and there was Anas, and yet we had such fear, we were under such oppression, even with these other tzaddikim. And she says, until Hashem gave me the koach and I was able to stand up, she says, Kamti, Aimbi Yisrael, a mother in Klal Yisrael, and with Hashem's help, we were able to go to battle against against this uh, this mighty kingdom. And therefore, she again calls out to be Mishabeach, to praise Hashem on his righteousness. And then she starts um, praising those who went out to battle. The, the, the Yidden, the 10,000 Yidden who followed, who heeded her call, and went out to battle, even though the danger was so great, and even though there was so much reason to be fearful. And then, in her song, she also gives rebuke and reprimands those who didn't join the battle. It seems there were some Shvatim who didn't join. They were afraid. And in her shira, she rebukes them. Says, your, your brethren are going out to battle, and you're sitting in your homes, and you're just listening to the fact that there's a battle going on. Now, even though, if you recall, she they weren't called to battle. She only said she asked for 10,000 soldiers from Naphtali and Zvulun. Um, but nevertheless, she says, even if they weren't called to battle, if their brethren are in battle, why didn't they bring, you know, take up arms and come to help them? And therefore, she strongly rebukes those people um, from those Shvatim who did not join their brethren in battle. And then she describes the actual battle, and she says that even though the Sisra had so much power and so much people, but Hashem fought us, he says, from heaven. Hashem fought us from the heavens and from the rains of the sky and from the waters of the ground. And he came Ezra Yisrael to the uh, the salvation of, of, of Klal Yisrael. And that's why he says the entire strength of Sisra wasn't in any way a match because when Hashem is fighting the battle, so then that's why we were successful. Then she gives a tremendous bracha for Yael and her strength and her uh, act of valor that she was able to stand up to and kill the, this uh, mighty general. And she finishes with talking about the mother of Sisera who's waiting for her son to come back from the battle and where is he and where are all the spoils of war. And she finishes with a, with a final pasuk. Now, I'll uh, want to talk about that for a moment. And she says, Kain yoyvedu kol oivecha Hashem. So should be destroyed all of the enemies of Hashem, all those who all those who are wicked. She finishes with this uh, bracha, or this uh, this bracha that all enemies should also be destroyed when they stand up against Hashem. And then she finishes the oyhavav kitzeis Hashem esh bigvurasoi, which means literally the oyhavav and those who truly love Hashem will should shine. Like this, when the sun comes out in its fullest strength. That's those are like uh, almost the last words of of her of her shira. Give me a second over here. Can Yevdu kelevecha Hashem? So should be lost all of your enemies, Hashem. Vaoyhavav kitzeis Hashemesh bigvurasai. And those who love Hashem, they should they should succeed like the sun when it comes out in its fullest strength. And then if then the pasuk finishes. And then the land was silent, was peaceful for the next 40 years. So the last words of her shira are these somewhat cryptic words that those who love Hashem somehow should connect to when the sun comes out in its fullest strength. What does that mean? And here we have a very interesting idea in Tanya that I just want to say um, in short. She says those who truly love Hashem. Who are, what's the ultimate indication of one who truly loves Hashem? So the Gemara says, 
who are those who truly express love for Hashem? Those are hasmechim biyisurim. Those who are able to be happy. They're able to be happy people. They're able to have simcha even when going through yisurim, when going through pain, when going through difficulty. When a person is able to go through difficult times and painful times and oppressive times and still have simcha, where does that come from? Where does that simcha come from? If I'm, I'm in pain, I'm suffering, and things are bad on all different levels, physically, spiritually, where does the simcha come from even when things are bad? So the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that the simcha comes from the fact that a person recognizes that everything from Hashem is ultimately for the good. It's just that there are certain goods that we can appreciate and handle because they're, uh, because Hashem tailors them for us so that it should be something that we can appreciate and enjoy. And then there are certain times when Hashem connects to us from a level that's too high for us to appreciate. And that's where we feel like, oh, we're this sardis and there's difficulties and there's pain. But a yid that has real amuna knows, and the famous uh, quote that, that even that children know, gamzula tova. What does gamzula tova mean? That a yid believes that whatever is happening is happening directly from Hashem to me. And if Hashem is doing it, ultimately it's good. I don't understand it. I don't appreciate it. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I daven for Hashem. I daven from Hashem to make it a good that I can appreciate and understand. But until I do appreciate it and understand it, Gamzu Latova means that I, I appreciate and I understand that everything that comes from Hashem is for the good. It's just that it's from a higher level of goodness. A goodness that at this moment I'm not a keli for, I'm not a vessel to appreciate. But that doesn't change my understanding that it really comes from Hashem. Says the Alter Rebbe that that's why Dvara says that those who truly love Hashem, when will they receive their fullest schar? When the sun will come out in its full strength. What does that mean, the sun coming out in the full strength? So says says the Tanya, that there's the sun which is the source of light. And then around the sun there's a protective shield. Some people call it the ozone layer. right? There's a protective shield around the sun. Why does the sun need a protective shield? Because the sunlight is too powerful. It's so powerful that it could be harmful if it's not protected. So if the sunlight is good, it's just so powerful, it could feel harmful. And that's the same thing. When we when we feel pain, when we feel sorrow's difficulty, it's like Hashem is shining at us and not shielding Himself. It's the higher levels of Hashem that are shining to us and are not shielded, and that's why we feel in pain. So a person who is going to have simcha even in difficulties, the ayav of those who truly love Hashem, says the very those who truly love Hashem in, in every situation they're able to be a simcha, they're able to say gamzul atayva, so they will be able to when Mashiach comes receive the full revelation, the full unshielded revelation of Hashem, and be able to fully appreciate it, because even when they had the tzaras that we have in life, they still were able to hold on and say, I know this is coming from Hashem. It's just from a very high level that I can't appreciate today. Their schar will be when Mashiach will come and the unlimited and unshielded levels of Hashem will finally be something that we can handle and appreciate. That schar will be most felt by those who were able to be sameach even through the difficulties of life. And that's how Devera finishes her great shira which, as we said, becomes one of the great shiras of Klal Yisrael. 
that's the end of Perik um, Hay, which, uh, and as we as we finished the last few words right after the Shira is that then there was 40 years of peace in the land, and then Perik Vav is it's back down again. Perik Vav uh, again after the Vera, so they become sinful again, and then they come under a new king of Midian, and then we go on to the next Shafet, who's going to be Gidom. And that's going to be actually a few prokim, a few prokim on the stories of Gidon, which is the next fascinating shefet of Kal Yisrael after Devera, and that we will emir Hashem do next week. Bezer Hashem. I wanted to say uh, thank you also to the sponsor, Mrs. Shender, and she the schos for the birthdays, right, of uh, of uh, Tamir and Yochavit and Shaul. And it's also I'll also say it's also my birthday tonight, so that I can have a kaya to give to give a. Uh, to give, to give a bracha to everyone that everyone should have only revealed good in everything and Yafuas and Yeshuas and everything that everyone needs and the big Yeshua for Kali Yisrael and Mitzvah Shem Bekar of Mamash Bekar of Mamash Bekar of Mashiach Amen Honored you spent your birthday with us Wow